Good morning, Second Baptist. Good morning, Chrissy. Good morning. Good morning to all of you gathered here in our gym and to all of you joining us on Facebook this morning. We're happy to have you with us also. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, this morning, our pastor, Pastor Joe, um, has been on has had a, a week off. He will be back um, tomorrow. So if you need to contact him, you can contact the church office and he will be here. Um, his Wednesday evening Bible study will resume on uh, Wednesday night at seven o'clock on Facebook. Uh, he, I know it's been a great study of Ezekiel and he'll be continuing with that. And then also want to remind you, I know we've been talking about it the past few weeks, um, that we have started an SBC online Facebook community. So if you haven't had a chance to join, um, I encourage you to do so. It's an opportunity for us uh, to go a little deeper with one another, to connect with one another, feel safe to share prayer concerns and things that are on our heart. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that. If you are able, would you please stand and join us in reading our call to worship this morning? How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. O God, creative spirit, all things have their beginning and ending in you. We hold your name on high. Glory and honor to you. Amen. of you joining us at home, please feel free, if you have any prayer concerns, any praises, please feel free to add those into the chat. We want to join in the amen. We want to join you um, in going to our God and Father. And uh, church here, as we enter into an attitude of prayer, um, if anything I say resonates with you, please feel free. We're going to have our eyes closed. Feel free to raise a hand. We want to join in, in lifting your concerns and your hearts up to God. So let's go to God together. Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning as your grateful children. Lord, we know that if it were not for your son, and the sacrifice of your son, God, we could not come before you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for pursuing us, for never giving up on us. God. 
for following us, for seeking us, God. Forgive us for all the times, Lord, where we have walked away. God, where we have sought answers somewhere else. Forgive us, God, for the times where we have not done what you've called us to do. Forgive us for our silence. God, we ask that you will wash us clean this morning. We thank you for your forgiveness and your redemption, Lord. God, there are people on our hearts this morning. We pray for anyone, God, who is going through a health issue or a health concern. And Lord, we think right now of Mark Jarrell and his family, and we pray for healing and protection for them. We lift up our sister Kathleen LaMontagne, God, and pray that you will touch her right now, that you will flood her with your healing power. And God, for anyone else, Lord, right now in this room or at home, God, who needs your healing touch, we pray that your spirit will move. Lord, for anyone gathered with us, God, who needs healing in relationships, who needs reconciliation, God, we pray that you will move and work in families, in neighborhoods, move in our country, God, and provide, help us to reconcile one to another, Lord. May your spirit guide us in our society, Lord. Help us to represent you well as we talk with our friends and our coworkers, God. May you and your love be ever-present. Lord, for anyone else who is here now with us, God, if they have any concern on their heart, pray that your spirit will touch them right now. Pray, God, that you will lift and encourage each person. God, help us to see who we are in you. God, help us to continue to grow and to move forward in you. We pray that for our church, Lord. And Lord, right now, I want to lift up our pastor, Pastor Joe, to you. Thank you for his leadership, God, and thank you for him and his family, and we pray that you... Lord, will bless them, help them have a wonderful day of rest. Speak to him and give him your vision, God, that he may lead us, Lord, wherever it is you're calling this church to go. Lord, we thank you for this morning that we can gather freely in your name. And we ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that you will reign in this entire service, God, that your will will be done. And we pray now, Lord, as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Would you please stand?
is our prayer this morning. We need you, God. We ask that you will fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. God, that you will lead us in the paths of righteousness, that you will lead us, God, in your kingdom. That we will all be able to experience, God, what it is to be free in you, to no longer have chains, to no longer be bound, to be free, to be able to walk in your salvation, God. We need you. We need you in this moment, and we need you every moment of every day, God. We thank you that you do not fail us, that you are always present, you are always there. Lord, at this moment, I ask that your Holy Spirit will touch Peter. We thank you that he's here to deliver your word this morning, God. And we pray, Lord, and trust, God, that you have placed a message in him, your word in him, and I pray that you, through your, the power of your spirit, will help him to preach with boldness and confidence, God, and that you will give us all an attitude to receive from you this morning, to receive your word, God, that it will plant and grow. Lord, we want to honor you and glorify you in all things. We can ask for your continued presence here with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Praise the Lord. If you can turn, turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. Lord, would you speak to us today through your word? Lord, Lord let me be a conduit of your word. And Lord, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit will come and minister unto our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Just to give you a little background information on our passage, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter in prison in Rome around A.D. 60 to 62. And Paul was in prison due to the persecution of his faith in Christ. And he's writing this letter challenging the Philippian church to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. He wants them to strive together as one 
for the faith of the gospel. And not to be frightened in any way by those who are opposing them. He also emphasizes in chapter 1 that not only is faith a gift to the Philippian believers, but also suffering is a gift for them. And he reminds them that he's going through this same struggle. That's why he's in prison. He's being persecuted for his faith. And one of the issues that the Philippian church is facing right now is there's an internal conflict. There is some disunity among the church leaders and some of the church members. And because of this disunity, it's leading to fighting, bickering, and arguing among among them. And so Paul wants to address this issue in our passage today. There's three points that we want to take a look at in our passage today. The first point that we want to look at is a heart that fights. The second point we want to look at is a heart that doesn't fight. In other words, a heart that makes peace. And number three, how do we get that kind of heart? A heart that makes peace. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, Paul uses four if statements. In the original text, we call these statements first-class condition, which indicates the assumption of truth for the sake of argument. And so Paul is saying, yes, they have experienced these powerful things in the Lord. They have experienced encouragement and grace from being united with Christ. They have been comforted by God's love in difficult times. They've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to say that if, you, if they have experienced all these powerful things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one, basically being in unity. But the interesting thing is that even with these powerful experiences, they're still fighting. They're still bickering and arguing going on. You see, there's something inside the human heart that makes us inclined to fight. What is it? Well, let's take a look at verse 3. In verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul presents the issue. He presents the cause of the fighting. What does, what does he say? He says, he says it's selfish ambition or vain conceit. He presents us with the condition of the human heart. And Paul uses an interesting word here, kinodoxion. It's a compound word. Um, kinos means empty. Doxia, doxa means glory. So it means literally empty glory. The vain conceit, empty glory. Paul is saying that we are glory starved. We are glory hungry. That our hearts are glory empty. This means that our hearts are starving for validation and approval. It means, this glory star means it's not assured, we are not assured of our significance and value. It means to be starving for respect and honor. It means that we're always feeling insecure or we're thinking we don't matter. And that's what the Bible is telling us through this passage, passage that this is the case for all human beings. Paul is saying the reason that we fight is because we're glory starved. We are glory hungry. And because we are not assured of our value, our worth, we end up trying to go get it. We end up trying to go achieve it with our own strength and our own means, and that leads to fighting. And if this is true, then it explains our culture of success here in the West. You know, we live in such a highly competitive and performance-based society. So much pressure. We try to fill our empty glory with our success. And how does our culture define success? 
was defined by what kind of job we have, how much money we make, how much power we have is defined by money, power, and status. Or maybe we're trying to measure our success, our, our success through our family, our family background, or having a great family. And if we allow this kind of success syndrome to fill our hearts, it will only lead to, our, it will only lead to hearts that are unsatisfied and discontent in the end because we're trying to fill our hearts with our selfish ambitions, with our own achievements. And in the end, it doesn't give us the glory we really need. Think about it, right? Why do people lash out on one another? Why are people ugly and mean to one another? Is it because they are assured of their value and significance? No, it's because they're not assured of their value and respect of themselves. You know, when I used to be a teacher and a youth pastor, you know, I would observe students that would misbehave, right? Like bullying others and kind of lashing out. And a lot of times, you know, these students, they lacked attention, right? They were starving for attention. And so what did they do? They misbehave, right? They lashed out. They are bullying others and being ugly and mean. And I can see that was a sign that they lacked in feeling valued, loved by someone. That's why they were reacting this way. And so when we look at all these things, right, the children who are lacking attention, students, our young people, people who are lashing out on others, or the success syndrome, you know, the popular thinking is that um, it's because of a lack of self-esteem, right? The popular thinking, the, the dominant and popular narrative in our culture thinks the way to solve this lack of self-esteem is to think, as long as I love myself, right? Um, I'm okay. As long as I think I'm important, then that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what other people think. All I have to do is validate myself. But this kind of hyper-individualized thinking doesn't work. Why? Because we're social and relational beings. Pastor Tim, Tim Keller quotes here, only when you get love, approval, and esteem from someone you esteem will you get self-esteem. Only when you love, only when you get love, approval, and esteem from someone you esteem will you get self-esteem. And so we just can't validate ourselves. And yet, if we're trying to get attention, that constant validation from others, we're going to feel like that hamster in the cage on the wheel on the wheel, just running and running, but getting nowhere, right? We constantly are seeking, seeking approval from others, but ultimately, we are feeling empty. We're getting nowhere. And so, the Bible has an answer for us. The Bible has an answer why we are glory-starved. It's because we were made for God. God created us for him. We were made for him only God can ultimately fill that glory-starved hearts of ours. And it's because we turned away from God, there is this constant emptiness in our hearts that longs to be filled. And the void, this void, this empty, this glory-starved heart was meant to be filled with the infinite love of God. It was meant to be filled with the smile and delight of God's presence. And if we're not filling it with God's love, then we're going to end up trying to fill it with our own achievements, with our success, with our money, with our job, with our families. And these things, in the end, will only make us more insecure, more irritable, more anxious, and this leads to our fighting. Second, then what's a heart that doesn't fight? What's a heart that makes peace? Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. The word humility here means modest 
and gentle. And based on the context here, humility has a deeper meaning for us. This is when grammar helps us. It has the transition word here, rather, right? So humility has to be opposite to what? It has to be opposite to ambition and vain conceit, right? To glory-starved. So if glory-starved means a heart that is empty, then humility has to mean some type of inner fullness. If a glory-starved heart makes us fight, a heart of humility gives us a heart of peace that makes peace. And you see, humility and pride is defined by, by what we are looking at. That's what it says in verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. It's what we're habitually looking at all the time. What are we always focused on? Are we always focused on ourselves? Always focused on, on worrying about what am I getting out of this? What am I benefiting out of this? What am I gaining out of this? However, if we are full, then we will have the capacity to look away from ourselves and start to see the needs of others. It's only when we're hungry we look for food. But when we're full, we can easily pass up all the delicious food. Why? Because we're super full and we can get right to our destination. You see, it's when we're full, we don't need to constantly be seeking validation for ourselves. And we can start thinking about others. See, people who are courteous and gentle, it's not just a sign that they're nice. It's a sign that they're full. C.S. Lewis said that in his book, Mere Christianity, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We need to stop thinking about ourselves so much. We need to stop worrying about ourselves so much and start thinking about others more. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, having the law though I am not free from God's law, but under, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. See, what Paul is saying is that, you know, um, that he can go out of his way. He has the bandwidth, the capacity to put others first. He was able to listen and learn from others and put himself in others, other people's shoes. You know, he didn't go around trying to dominate over everyone and force his beliefs on people. His agenda was not to just prove that he's right and everyone else is wrong and brag about his beliefs. Rather, he humbled himself to empathize and sympathize with others and relate with others so that he can share the love of Christ with others. You see, the unity here is not like we all have to be robots, right? No, we can have differences. We can have different opinions and ideas, but the goal is to learn how to listen and learn from one another in a loving way, in a spirit-filled way, in an edifying way to God and to one another. And I was really encouraged when I was praying for the AAPI community and the anti-Asian violence that's happening in our nation, you know. Um, and this Asian racism has been a problem for a long time, 
but now it's more visible because of social media. And our church, my church, you know, our church members, they came up to me, you know, and encouraged me and asked me how I, how I was doing. They wrote me encouraging letters and emails uh, expressing their concern for me and the AAPI community and how they stand and support me in this, in this cause. And this really encouraged me. They didn't have to do that, but they went out of their way, right? They stopped thinking about themselves and they put, my, they put themselves in my shoes and they were able to come, right, and share their heart of peace with me. And I was really encouraged by that. And so third, how can we get this kind of heart then? How can we get a heart of peace? Well, let's take a look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We have to have the same mindset of Jesus. It's not some type of wishful thinking or some psychological move that we could just convince ourselves, oh, you know, I can figure out how to be humble. I can figure out how to make myself validated. No, the Bible says it's the mindset of Christ. What is the mindset of Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's called the doctrine of the incarnation. What? Doctrine of incarnation? It's basically the story of Jesus, the trajectory and the life of Jesus, the story that God became man through his son Jesus in order to save us, save the world from its sin. And Paul is saying, if we want to have this heart of peace, we need to believe in this doctrine by putting our faith in Christ. We need to rejoice in it, and we need to be constantly reminded of it, especially in our relationships with one another. That's why in verse 5, it says, in your relationships with one another, with one another, have the same mindset. We need to be constantly reminded in our minds so that it goes into our hearts, it goes into our souls, and it comes out through our life. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. So there's three things in this doctrine of the incarnation that we can learn. And by the way, it's a hymn. If you look in your Bible, it's in poetry form. It's a beautiful poem. It's the most powerful poem you will ever read in your life because it's the story, it's the life of Jesus. And there's three things that this doctrine, this astounding doctrine teaches us. First is where he was. Second, where he went. And third, where he is now. Let's look at the first one, where he was. It says in verse 6, being in very nature God, he was the same being as God. He was equal with the Father, equal in omnipotence, omniscience. He was all-powerful, all-good. He was all-perfect. Jesus was glorious beyond our comprehension. Jesus was full. Jesus was God. But where did he go? Let's take a look at where he went in verse 7. It says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness. We have the word again here, kenos. Kenos means empty. In, in this verse, it's in the verb form, kenosen, again, which means to be empty, to empty oneself. Jesus was full, he was God, but he emptied himself. He became like us. He didn't come as an aristocrat or some high-ranking official, but he came as a servant out of all things. The one who was full of beauty came as a servant. And if you look in Isaiah chapter, 40, uh, chapter 53, verse 2, it says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You see, Jesus did not come as some attractive, powerful person, but he came as a lowly person, a slave, poor and vulnerable. And it doesn't stop there. He went to the cross in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what happened on the cross? 
what did Jesus say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's happening there? God completely and utterly ignored his only son. Jesus has taken our punishment for us. We are the ones who turned away from God. But Jesus is the one who doesn't turn away from us. He's the one who acts on our behalf and he experiences total abandonment from the Father, being totally cut off from God. You see, God could have easily turned away from us because that seems like the just thing to do, right? If someone turns away from you, we turn away from them, right? You turn away from me, I'm going to turn away from you then. It seems like the fair thing to do. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, ta- he takes the worst punishment for us. And what's the worst punishment? Is to be separated from God. And why did Jesus do that for us? Because now when we go to the Father and we put our faith in the Lord, we can now be eternally connected to him. We can experience the smile and the delight of God as beloved sons and daughters of the Lord with whom he is well pleased. It's not based on what we have done or accomplished, but it's based on what Jesus has done for us. You see, he became our sin so that we may have his righteousness placed on us. Jesus sacrificed his glory, his fullness, so that we can have his glory, so that we can be full. He gave up his validation, his approval, his attention, so that we can have it. And what's, must, what's more glorious than that? The most glorious one gave up his glory so that we can have glory. You see, to display true glory is to give up your glory in order to save others. The greatest power is to give up your power in order to empower others. The greatest strength is to become weak so that others can be strong. That is true greatness. And that is the doctrine of the incarnation. That is the story and life of Jesus. Jesus is teaching us through his life, the way he lived his life, the way up is to go down. The way to be happy is to stop, to forget about our own happiness and start thinking about others being happy. And if we believe that, we put that into our hearts, right, and we believe in it and we live by that, then we can start to have a heart that makes peace. We can start to figure out, okay, now I can understand a little what, it, what this heart of peace looks like. Let's look at Tim Keller's quote again. He says, only when you get love, approval, and esteem from someone you esteem will you get self-esteem. You see, when we're adored by someone we adore, when we are praised by someone we praise, that's true approval and validation. When we are praised by the praiseworthy, there is no greater reward than that. That is heaven. And our approval in Christ is not fleeting. It's not like we receive his approval one week for being good, and then we lose his approval the next week. That's how the world works. It's based on your performance. But when we receive God's validation, it's not based on our works. It's a free gift. Free gift Jesus gives to us based on his sacrifice for us. Jesus poured himself out for us so that we can be full. And when we are full, then we can live the way Jesus lived. So let's let's take a look at now, where is he now? In verses 9 and 10. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting. Remember, Jesus was up. Where was he? He was God the Father, but then he emptied himself. He went down. But in the end, look where he is now. He's even higher. 
God raised him up to the highest place. Brothers and sisters, do you see the trajectory of Jesus' life? Up, down, up, even higher. Maybe we should make a song titled that. Up, down, up, even higher. Um, but that's the life that we are called to, right? Because we were created and made for God. And it's cool how this doctrine ends, right? It ends with glory, right? Kind of comes back full circle, but even higher glory. We are all starving for glory, and it's only in our relationship with Jesus that we can find this true glory. Let's believe in that in our hearts, putting our faith in Christ. Let's rejoice in it. Let's be constantly reminded of this this astounding doctrine, the story that Jesus lived out for us. So I want to end with this quote by C.S. Lewis from his book, The Weight of Glory. To be loved by God, to be delighted in as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son, it seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. Glory means good report with God acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door in which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. Success in our efforts are not going to open that door. Living our lives through our family, that's not going to open that door. Lashing out on others is not going to open that door. Trying to convince ourselves that, you know, oh, we are worthy, that's not going to open that door. Only Jesus can open that door. Only when we have the mindset, when we truly surrender our lives to Christ by putting our faith in him, then we can have the capacity to start thinking of others and start listening and learning and relating with others. So let's believe it in our hearts. Let's rejoice in it. Let's be constantly reminded of it in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. What will we do without your word? Your word is the solution to our glory-starved hearts. Through your son, we repent of our heart that fights, Lord. We repent, Lord, Father, that we continue to try to look to other things to validate our worth. Lord, give us a heart of peace. Help us have a heart that doesn't fight. By, Lord, believing in, this, in your son Jesus, Lord, of what he's done for us. And we thank you for that gift. And we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of your gift of faith, even your gift of suffering the, 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 that we face. So give us strength, Lord, to continue, Lord, to have this heart of peace and let us con constantly be reminded of it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, would you please stand and join us in our closing song? What gift of love could I offer to a king? What weight or worth could be held within my offering? When he alone is jar I pray to bring them all the glory praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here Christ. 
has declared that there is not a Let this be our prayer throughout this week. Praise him from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let this be our response to this beautiful doctrine. Let it be our source of hope, our source of joy, and our source of validation that comes from the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.